Please be seated. Throughout this year, off and on, we're continuing to talk about how we can uh, get better at sharing our faith and telling the story of Jesus to a world that is open to hearing it. But we've talked several times about how the, the challenge of evangelism today is different than it is in the past, and it's different in this country than it is in some other context. And part of that reason is that we don't go to people with a blank slate anymore. Uh, people have heard the Jesus story, they've met the Jesus people, uh, they've been part of, of a church at some point in their past, uh, and they've chosen to leave when something didn't go well, or when something went wrong, or when, uh, when God disappointed them, or life disappointed them, or, uh, or the church disappointed them. And so as a minister, I'm often visiting with people and, and talking to them, and they'll start telling me why it is that they don't go to church anymore. Um, in the Churches of Christ, we don't do confessional, but I find myself in that space fairly often where someone feels the need to start telling me uh, why they don't go to church anymore. And you may be in that space too. You may have people in your family, in your life, that have told you how they've been wounded in the past. And, and that they don't go to church today because they don't trust the people that are in the church building. And so if we're going to be people that are talking about faith to these people that have been wounded, we need to kind of be honest about where they're coming from. And we need to think differently about how uh, to, to minister to them, to connect with them. You know, there's a lot of people who have been wounded by Christians and remain angry at God. I talk to people sometimes who uh, their experience was that often growing up, uh, God was used to shame them, uh, not to bring about repentance, but just to shame them. They were told, sometimes by parents, sometimes by others, uh, that, that there were times when Christ died on the cross to forgive people of their sins, uh, but there's Christians who spend so much more time telling people about the sins they're not forgiven of. Does that make sense? There's Christians that, that tell other people uh, hey, Jesus may have died on the cross for your sins, but you should still feel shame for the things you've done wrong. You should wear the guilt around like a burden on your neck. And where Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's often been communicated that that's not the case, that, uh, that those who are going to be followers of Jesus should constantly be feeling guilty about things that Jesus died and forgave them for. And yet we don't communicate that correctly. I've heard people who talked about how God was used to control them. And, and this isn't God doing these things, you understand. This is people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ distorting God to get what they want from another relationship in their life. And so someone might say, uh, God wants you to do what I want you to do. Good Christians don't behave like you're behaving. And God's used to control people. Sometimes someone might say, uh, the Christian thing for you to do is forgive me for the awful abusive things I've done to you. You need to forgive me. And you need to stay married to me because God hates divorce. And so God becomes a tool for doing harm and controlling people. And there's people that have that story. There's people that are raised saying, God doesn't want you the way 
God doesn't want you to dress the way you dress. God wants you to dress the way I want you to dress or grow your hair to a length that I want you to grow your hair. Um, God is wounding people, not by his doing, but by the doing of his children. There are times that God has been worshipped by the lips of people who then go out and deny their faith in God by the way that they mistreat loved ones in their lives or, uh, or friends in their lives or co-workers in their lives. There's people that have been totally destroyed in business relationships and transactions by people who take communion on Sunday. And, and that wounds us. That wounds the people that receive that. And the problem is that, that if we claim that we are Jesus Christ representatives, and then we go and we treat people badly, or we manipulate people using the God we claim to be made in the image of, we're hurting people in Jesus' name. And, and it's hard to talk to them later about how to come back to God when they kind of say, listen, I've met God's people, and if he's like them or they're like him, I'm not that interested in what you're, you're talking to me about. And we have to know that those gaps are there. There's people who uh, God was worshipped by people who refused to give forgiveness and who lived in conflict and hostility with people for years. The Bible tells us that we love God because he forgave us so much, but I hate you and won't forgive you. And we become like the servant who, who God has forgiven so much of his debts, but we refuse to forgive the debts of others. And it causes the other servants to be angry in the story. And, and that's how it is sometimes in, in the lives of people that we care about. When we won't forgive them for things Jesus has already forgiven them for, we're not being good representatives of Jesus to them. And so I hear these stories from people, and you've heard these stories from people. You know people, your loved ones, your friends, who have left the church because someone in the church has wounded them, and they don't want to come back now because they were hurt while they were supposed to be in the safest of places in God's house. And it's hard to have those conversations because you just, and I was in one a couple weeks ago where I, I listened to this person tell me a story uh, of how they grew up. Uh, it was a, a, a preacher's kid, uh, grew up and had all kinds of, of control issues, manipulation issues, uh, things that were done to, to put shame on them. And, and at the end of their story, all, all I could say is, I, I just want you to know that God did not desire any of those things to be said to you or done to you. I, I just want you to know that the God that we worship and the way that we worship him here doesn't fit your experience. But I sure do understand that if you had your experience, it would make it hard to go anywhere with people that worship the God who was used to hurt you. And there's so many people that have had these uh, experiences in their lives. And, and as Christians who are going to be looking for opportunities in our lives to have meaningful conversations about faith with these people, we have to know that the way to open their hearts is to first open our ears. That we have to become deeply empathetic listeners to the wounds that people have had inflicted on them by some who have called themselves our brothers and sisters in Christ, and in some cases are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They may not have intended harm, but it's happened. 
And if we want to be able to open our mouths and say a single word on Christ's behalf, we have to start by opening our ears. The first step toward opening their hearts is going to require Christians who are willing to listen and listen well. And so today we're going to talk some about listening. Now we're going to talk about bad listening and good listening. And it opens the door to good sharing or bad sharing of faith. And there is a way to share badly. Paul's not shy about it. He talks about it in Philippians chapter 1. He's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So the first thing that we need to get from this is there is a a lot of times that we get anxious that I'm not going to be a good communicator of the good news. Um, There is an odd blessing at the end of this kind of conflict-riddled passage, right? That even if you're someone that is sharing the gospel with bad intentions, and if you're sharing the gospel for your own benefit and to do harm to others, God can still use that and bless it in spite of you. Isn't that great? So, so if you're nervous that you're going to go about sharing the gospel wrongly, and it's not about method, it's really about motivation in this text. If you're worried that you're going to do it wrongly, uh, here's what you need to know. God can do incredible things with your worst effort. And that's good news. It means you don't have to wait till you're qualified, and you don't have to wait till you're trained. You don't have to get certified in doing this. The worst thing you can do is say nothing. Because then there's no chance that God's going to plant a seed and produce a crop out of that if you're not willing to let him use your worst effort. And imagine how much greater it would be if you give him your best effort. That God can do incredible things in you and through you and in the lives of the people that you're willing to, to interact with. And so there is this blessing in the text. But Paul goes about this, and he's, what he's really saying is there's two kinds of motivations for evangelism. One is where I'm wanting to do it for my vanity, my selfishness, my, to lift me up. And that's the bad kind. God can use it, but it's not desirable. And then the other kind is this, this type of, of service that results in Paul, in this case, being in chains. He's willing to be humbled. He's willing to, be, uh, to persevere, to, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It is, in its very nature, a humble approach to spreading the word. And Paul's constantly talking about the importance of humility to the gospel. He's constantly encouraging people to empty themselves the way Jesus did. Uh, in the next chapter, in Philippians chapter 2, he's writing about Jesus, and he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, he writes. This, this approach of humility is key to Paul's methodology. It's key to Paul's understanding about how the gospel is spread. And all too often, the wounding that the church has done in its sharing of the gospel and trying to control others is where I'm trying to use God and communicating God to you so that I can get what I want out of our relationship. It's so I can lift me up. It's so I can be exalted. And so here's kind of the key. When you go into a conversation with someone about becoming a Christian, if you're communicating to them how great you are, you're doing it wrong. If you're communicating to them that you're better than them, you're doing it wrong. And we see this in Jesus' ministry over and over again. A woman gets caught in adultery and Jesus lowers himself to a place of humility, relieving some of her shame. We see Jesus, when little children are coming up to him, he lowers himself and he greets the little children. We see Jesus in the moment that he institutes the Lord's Supper and the apostles and disciples are arguing about who's the greatest and least among them, and he lowers himself and he washes their feet. And he says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, this is the position you're going to do it from, lower. Kingdom news, the good news of the gospel, is always intended to be shared by people who are willing to lower themselves in an attempt to lift others up. And it's in that place of humility, in that place of service, in that place of saying, listen, I'm not perfect, I'm not greater, but I can tell you about the one who is, and he served like me and became nothing, emptying himself even to death on a cross so that God would lift him up. God wants to lift you up. And that's why I'm here today. I'm here humbling myself to tell you that God wants to lift you up to his glory and not mine. And so it's it's this sharing of humility, and it's this constantly putting the needs and desires of others ahead of our own. And, And the way that you figure out what others' needs and desires are is what? You listen. You listen. We think we know what everyone needs out in the world. We think that we see people that have needs and we're like, I know what you need. You need what I think you need. No, they don't. They need you to listen and then put their needs ahead of your own. There's people in your life, you're like, I don't understand why they're mad at me. Well, guess what? It's because you're putting your needs ahead of theirs. And if you want to know what theirs are, you need to go to them and listen. There is something about listening that places us a little bit lower. The one who speaks often thinks they have the most important things to say. Uh, there's an, uh, I think it's Bonhoeffer talks about be cautious of the one in group settings who speaks the most because they do not understand the value of their words and they think they are more important than they really probably are. When we are the ones who are talking all the time, this comes from the guy that stands up here and makes you listen for 30 minutes each week, and I get it, it's ironic. Uh, Bonhoeffer wrote a long book too, he's also in in the irony. So, um, but there is something about when we talk all the time that we think what's in our head is more important than what's in yours. 
But when I'm someone that gets in the habit and the posture of the listener, what I'm telling you is what you have to say is more important to me than what I think you need to hear from me. And it places us in this position of submitting to the other and putting their needs ahead of our own just by opening our ears. And when we do that, it begins to open the hearts of the one we listen to because they feel us intuitively serving them with our attention, serving them with our interest in who they are and what they've done and what they've experienced. And the more vulnerable that they're able to become and we continue to listen from a place of humility, it continues to build trust. And in a world where Christians have lost trust because we've said things that hurt people, we have the opportunity to build trust by showing that we're safe listeners and rebuilding those bridges that can open between them and the kingdom of God, them and the King of kings and Lord of lords. But it's not going to happen because we're talking all the time. It's going to happen because we really need to understand what good listening looks like. James, in writing his letter to the churches, talks about it right off the bat. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is important because we get this completely backwards today. Some news comes out, and it's bad news. And we turn on the news, and no one is listening. Everyone is yelling and blaming and accusing. We log on to our social media accounts, and what we see is people that are looking at the world, and no one is listening. Everyone is yelling and raging all over each other. Anger is running rampant in our society, and I've talked about this before, that, that anger is functions in pandemic-type ways, that it is contagious. That when I'm angry, you're either going to join me in my anger or be mad that I'm angry, but you're very rarely just disinterested. We live in a world that our anger triggers are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And the more often you're angry, the quicker your trigger is to be angry again in the future. And so the more angry we get, the less capable we are of even hearing each other, of talking to each other. Of, of, of having empathy for one another. Because before I even have a chance to say, explain to me what you think about this, I'm already mad. And you're mad. And now we're all mad. And no one's listening to anything, but we're yelling a lot and we're typing on our little phones all the time. And James says, be quick to listen. Slow to anger. If you're angry and you haven't considered thoughts and opinions of other people involved in a situation, you're doing it wrong. You are violating Scripture. The next verses here say, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We've got to get better at this. We've got to develop the ability to, to stop being mad at the non-Christians in the world for, for believing different things than us and hear them. Because their stories come from a place of, of baggage and of hurt and of something that's happened before. And if, if we want them to trust us enough to be able to talk to them, we've got to let them talk to us safely and listen well. 
We've got to develop these weakened muscles of the spiritual gift of empathetic, compassionate listening. So how do you know if you're a bad listener? I've got a list for you here. You you might be a redneck if. Here we go. You might be a bad listener if. As soon as someone starts talking, you look like the debate captain on the other side over here, and you're taking notes of everything they say so that you can dismantle it as soon as they're done with their side. I'm ready. I've got all the points, and your point one and two are terrible, and I'm going to tell you why as soon as you're... Are you done? Are you done? Because I'm ready to go. Might be a bad listener if you're in debate camp as soon as someone starts having a meaningful conversation with you. You might be a bad listener if uh, you keep talking over the other person. They're trying to talk and they find that every time their mouth's open, your mouth beat them to it. That's bad listening. That's just talking and rude. You're a bad listener if you think you know what someone thinks or feels before you let them tell you what they think or feel. We like to pigeonhole people a lot in our world today. If you are for this political party or that political party, if you're of this generation or that generation, if you're of this group or that group, well, I already know what you think. I don't even have to listen to what you have to say. In fact, why don't you just sit there and I'll tell you what you think. That's bad listening. You're not doing a good job of it. If every time you tell me something, I tell you how I've done that but better, and I just one-up you every time, and if every story you have reminds me of a story that's even longer than I'm going to tell you, I'm not being a good listener. I'm listening to you so that it can open the door for me to talk about me. You might be a bad listener if all you're interested do- doing is saying nuh-uh or no way to someone else's thoughts or opinions and not trying to actually understand where they're coming from. You're a bad listener if you are constantly getting distracted or disinterested. Um, this one hits close to home. Uh, some of you right now are distracted looking at your phones. You're a bad listener right now. All right? And it's even worse when it's one-on-one, when you're at the dinner table with your spouse and you're more interested in who is on your phone than the person who's sitting at the table with you. You're a bad listener. You might be a bad listener if you can feel that, that the person that you're talking to is just waiting for you to take a breath so that they can have their turn. You know, you know that person that when you're talking to is like, is it my turn yet? Is it my turn yet? Is it my turn yet? And you take a breath and they're like, here we go, off to the races. That's not the kind of listening we need. We need listeners who genuinely care about the person they're talking to. And this is, this is kind of hard as a skill uh, because not all of us are good at caring about other people, okay? Some of us are more interested in our own needs instead of the needs and interests of others. The problem is that if you're a follower of Jesus, he puts the needs and interests of others ahead of his own, and Paul says if we're going to be his followers, we have to do that too, which means we have to find some way to genuinely care about other people and their interests even if we don't feel that way right now. And some of that's going to require us to to just drop our own 
presuppositions about someone's value, and you're going to have to look at someone and say, Jesus, who I love, loved you enough to die on the cross for you. And if he loved you that much, I should love you enough to care about your thoughts and feelings. And you just meet them there. Even if it's not out of your love for that person, it's out of your love and commitment to Jesus who loved you enough to give his life for you. He pays the debt when we're not sure that we want to. Other keys to good listening is to be genuinely curious. There's a a concept in ancient hospitality uh, that the guest always shows up with a gift if the host is patient enough and listens long enough to find it. Every single person that you meet has a gift in their experience, in their knowledge, in their worldview that you can receive if you're only willing to be curious enough long enough to find it. And you can make it into a challenge that when you sit down with someone, you say, I'm going to keep exploring this person and their experiences until I find something that's a gift to me that, that's hidden in them because I'm curious enough to keep asking and to keep exploring and to keep listening to their story of where they've been and where they've come from. If you don't understand something, you're a good listener if you ask clarifying questions. And you really try and get to the bottom of their feelings. That's interesting. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Isn't, it's, you know, think about how similar it is. That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. How did you get to that? Is almost the same as saying, I disagree with what you just said. Doesn't it? Like, I find your opinion shocking, and I don't think that way is almost the same as that's really interesting. How did you come to that conclusion? I don't think about it that way. One of them is curious and clarifying. The other one shuts them down and demeans them. But they're both communicating the same reaction, which is me saying, I don't think I think like you think. But listen more, clarify more, try and fully understand. It's okay to get to a place where you say, boy, I don't see this situation like you do, but I see why you feel that way. Your experience that got you here is different than mine. Reflect back to them what they've said to show that you've received it, not word for word, but in your own words. It shows understanding. This is the the basis of active listening, uh, is you don't just go, "Uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. You say, man, that's really interesting that your family had some of those struggles growing up. I'm sure that must have been hard for you. I'm just repeating back to them what they've said, but in a way that shows I was listening and I received it. It builds trust that opens my ears to open their hearts to what God has in store for them. And the other one is this, and this may be the one... Yeah, we all struggle with different things, but one of the ones that I see people struggling with the most is we are unwilling to be uncomfortable in conversations. We're just unwilling. We want to be comfortable all the time. And so as soon as a conversation starts to veer into dangerous waters or feels a little bit uncomfortable, we start looking for that very first off-ramp to change the subject. Oh, they're talking about their feelings. Oh, they're going to tell me about their opinions. Oh, we're not going to agree on this. How do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? Where's the first off-ramp out of this conversation? And we take it, and we get off and go, whew, that was really close. I almost got to learn who they were and what they think. 
That might have been uncomfortable for me. What if we're different? What if they think something I think is wrong? What if I think something they think is wrong? Well, that's okay. Listen to each other. Learn from each other. Lean into the discomfort because it's in that uncomfortable uh, tension. It's in that uncomfortable vulnerability where trust is built. If every time you and I start to have an uncomfortable conversation, you take the first off-ramp, what it tells me is that you don't think we have the kind of relationship that can talk about tough things. What it tells me is next time I need to talk about what I think or feel, you're not the person I need to go to. And guess what? If in a couple months you want to come tell me what you think or feel about things that are important, I'm not going to listen to you either because you're not the kind of person that has a relationship with me that does that stuff. So don't take the first off-ramp. Stay in the conversation. Really listen and be curious about other people with different points of view. So many people have closed their ears and their hearts because of their past experiences. One of the things that's coming up, if you're thinking, well, I don't even know how to do this. Uh, I don't even know. I've, I've not, it's, it is a skill, and you can practice it, and you can learn it. Uh, our Alpha course is coming up again in September. And Alpha is essentially an exercise in group listening. It's the spiritual practice of being a curious listener. And so the format of the event is we have dinner and we listen to each other at dinner. And then we watch a video and, and it presents a teaching for that week about God or Jesus, the Holy Spirit, scripture, faith, prayer, uh, any of those number of topics. Uh, and then at the end, uh, people get in groups with believers and non-believers and say, what did you think about that? And if someone thinks something that's different from our Christian point of view, we don't go, nuh -uh. We don't take notes to like knock down their arguments when they get there. We're just practicing the gift of spiritual listening to people with all kinds of points of view. And what's incredible is how often it opens the door for people to start working their own spiritual muscles of faith and start dealing with issues of unfaith and, and exposing some of their past wounds that have left them where they're not in a church right now. And that practice of listening builds relationships and it builds trust and it opens their hearts to open their ears for the good news that's being presented there. And I get that September, when does it start? September 13th, that's a ways off. But here's the thing, I need you guys, if you have someone in your life that you're thinking, man, I wish I could invite them to that, or invite them to church, or invite them to a conversation over coffee about faith. If you've got someone in your life that fits that description, you need to right now be praying that God will open their ears and open their hearts to his message. Be praying about them. Be praying that God puts someone on your heart to be thinking about and talking to. And, and not only that, you need to start finding opportunities to get with them and listen to their story and hear where they're coming from and understand uh, why they have come to a position of unfaith in their life and just listen. And you don't have to undo it on day one. It turns out that the, the practice of listening to them over time is going to open the door for you to have something meaningful and the relationship to say something meaningful later. My prayer this year is that God will continue to give us the eyes to see lost people. 
that he'll give us the mouths that can say, that communicate his truth with both truth and love. It's that we will continue to be people who have ears to hear the stories of hurt from their past, that we can communicate to them and bless them. Uh, and, and this isn't, I'm telling you guys, this is not a gimmick. I'm not saying listen for one week so that you can say whatever you want the next. What I'm telling you is to develop the habit of really caring about people and listening to their stories as a spiritual gift that you're giving to them. Because God does, as Evan mentioned before the sermon, he always gives it to us. He hears our words, hears our thoughts, hears our prayers. Uh, here in a couple weeks, uh, with the Alpha, this is Alpha poster, we've got a whole bunch of stickers. If you invite someone, you can put a sticker on it. If, you, if they accept your invitation, you get another sticker. Uh, our strategy is if it works for VBS, it still works for church, right? Uh, sticker charts for a comeback win. Um, but we want you to kind of have this in front of you, that we have a willingness. And it's not to say that Alpha is the only tool. There's a million ways that God can speak through you to other people. But if you're here right now and you think, I don't have an accessible and easy way to do it, this is an easy and accessible way to, to do that. Um, 